Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I am your host, Bill Sickens. Joining me is our co-host, Jeremy and Gretchen. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello there. So I hear we're going to be talking some Star Wars this week. Yep. Really? We never talk Star Wars. No, we no, no. That's probably <laughs> such a such an unusual <laughs> thing for us. You know, the yes. uh, first couple of episodes of the new season of Mandalorian have dropped, and I understand there's some new Bad Batch, so we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, and uh, see uh, what everybody's opinion of this spoiler alert. I think we liked it, but um, <laughs> 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 but uh, no, it's kind of cool to see that coming out now, and. Uh, seeing kind of the direction that these things are going. And there's a lot of uh, opinions out there, both positive and negative, and to each his own. But it is interesting to see where all that's going. We're going to be talking tech a little bit this week, too, and we've got some stuff coming up for you on that topic. See some of the things that are going on out there. So let's go ahead and jump into the news. What do we have this week? Okay, well, introducing Boots, the artificial intelligent bear that explains code. So what's that? Well, you know, those of us that were around in the 80s, you remember Teddy Rutskin? Yeah. Yeah. That thing you put in a cassette tape and it would talk and, you know, everything. Uh, this is not creepy. that. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what this is, is um, basically a thing where you can go in and ask questions about programming using source code, you know, different things like that, how to do different things and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But what they wanted to do was add a little bit of character to this. So that's where Boots came from. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he okay. introduces himself as Boots the Magnificent. I can't say that word today, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so anyway, this is kind of an interesting idea. Um, got to play with this a little bit, and he uh, really actually does work quite well. I think I would be using this a little bit in work. Cool. But um, it's kind of fun. Now, Chat GPT can also generate source code and answers questions and actually is pretty good at it. But this takes it to another level where there's a little bit of character with this uh, idea of this code wizard kind of thing, which is what he's modeled after. Uh -huh. So um, Does he have a hat? Uh, I'm sorry? Does he have a hat? He definitely does have a hat, and it looks like a wizard hat, too. Oh, well, good for so, him. So anyway, <laughs> boots.dev is the website. Check it out. Okay, the pitfalls of letting an algorithm set the rent. Yeah, so interesting topic here. Interesting that this is actually something that's in the news. This has been done for a long time. And it's kind of weird to see this. And a good example of this is some of these like larger apartment complexes, although this is used across the board. And what they do, and I ran into this, you know, in the past when I've rented apartments, is when you go in, well, how much is it to rent this two bedroom, two bath? And they Go to the computer, and the computer uses an algorithm to give you the rent. Now, some of the things that go into that is, okay, are you going to move in tomorrow? Or are you going to move in at the end of the month? And then adjust the rent accordingly so that they aren't out any money for the downtime, you know, for the couple of weeks going there. Looks at the market, what's available, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And so this idea is something that, like I say, has been out there for a while. But the Justice Department's getting involved in it now because they're having some problems with the direction that this is going, where rents are being artificially uh, raised, inflated, with the limited supply of housing that we've had, some things like that. And 
that kind of a thing, you know, is uh, is not cool because one of the biggest expenses, is not the biggest expense most people have, is housing. Yeah. yeah, and there's been definitely not enough in most markets. That's been a big problem, and now we have something that is um, really kind of adjusting the rent in a way that may not be fair to everybody. So that's you know that's what this is about, and all of that kind of stuff, and. You know, they, the company that makes it, uh, RealPage, says that uh, they use aggregated market data in legally compliant manner, whatever that may mean. And, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Sure that's they that's do. from there. But it's just another thing to look out for if you're looking to rent and that kind of a thing. Uh, you might even ask how they figure out the rents, but chances are it's done by a computer using an algorithm like this, if not this one. A bullet train from Las Vegas to Los Angeles by 2027. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. You know, I am a fan of high-speed rail. Mm-hmm. I think it has its place. Now, whether this actually comes into being is also another big question. The state of California has been building or trying to build, I don't know exactly how you would describe this, a high-speed train that ultimately would go from the north part of the state to the south part of the state, connecting San Jose's local um, trains in the city and stuff down to, I think it's Bakersfield. They've been trying to do that since the 1990s. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they started building part of the project, and there's been tons of cost overruns. As far as I know, none of it works yet either. So this other system, now this might have a little bit more of a use because there's a lot of people that do go to Vegas for the weekend. If you could go we, on the train, that might we've be We've been on cool that road. It. Yeah, oh yeah, we've we've driven and, it. It's, and uh, it's horrible. Yes. Yeah. And having a train that would go back and forth and, and reduce the, the traffic, that'd be really nice. One of the things, you know, other parts of the world, Europe, China, and other places use high-speed rail a lot more than we do. But one of the real differences is the amount of space. And in the United States, it is usually more cost-effective to get over these vast areas of space using a plane where you don't have to build track infrastructure, you know, bulldoze through mountains, that kind of thing, um, than it is to do something like this. The problem being is air travel has been such a mess lately and it doesn't seem to be getting better, that having an alternative might be interesting. On a kind of a sub-note to this, Amtrak has been adding a lot more service. I know up here there's a new train that goes from British Columbia to Portland with stops in between that's launching and stuff like that. So there definitely is some investment being made in trains and that type of a thing. And it's interesting to see if they actually get the high-speed train to work, for one thing. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be electrically powered and renewable energy and all of that, which would be great. But I just I know that the state of California, which is where the majority of this would be, does not have the best track record right now in making this stuff actually happen. The other thing of it is, is the cost of this project is ten billion dollars today. <laughs> so you figure it's actually going to be more when it goes into effect, because almost always that happens. Yeah. Why the floppy disk just won't die? Yeah, you know it's <laughs> funny. There's a lot of things out there that still use floppy disks too. That's really. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of different computers and things and especially older equipment. And, you know, they talk about here embroidery machines, oh, uh, yeah. $2,000 machine manufactured mm-hmm. in 2004, and it runs on floppy disks. And there's a lot of other devices like that, too, that are still out there. Mm-hmm. The last year they manufactured disks uh, like this was 2010. Okay. Oh, my. So we're now 13 years out, and the supply of disks is dwindling. So mm-hmm. that's one of the problems that they're having that uh, you it's becoming harder and harder to replace the discs when they go bad or if you need more of that type of a thing. And 
Um, you know, so it's an issue, but they're still out there. One of the other things that you might find interesting is planes. Like the, I believe the 747 updates on floppy disks most of the time still. So when they send out the the software update, there's actually a floppy port in the cockpit and they have to go in with the disks and load them. Wow. Uh, to be able to, to upgrade them, you know, that's, that's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. um, they do have some floppy to USB emulators and some other things that sort of maybe can replace this on certain devices, but that would only work with computers that were compatible with something like that and that type of a thing. And a lot of the other stuff out there that requires them still requires them, you know, and it's just a necessity. The other thing, you look at these type of things that you might have heard about in the past if you were using computers in these eras are zip disks. Those are still used yeah. in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure those are made. I'd have to look. But it is definitely um, something that's out there and something that's still used on that front. CDs are still all over the place. In fact, I still mm -hmm. have a CD burner. I have I tons of it. stuff that's yeah. stored so, on CD, well, and I'd like to get it onto something I was else. say, none of our computers have a CD drive, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. Mine does. I have an external one that I use, I but I still use it from time to time. So, yeah. Hmm. Amazon's big dreams for Alexa? All short. I wonder what she thinks of that. Yeah, I, I would have to ask that question, too. And I think she's done, you know, um, telling everybody what time it is. And that's kind of the biggest problem there is they seem to have not been able to really teach people what the capabilities actually are. So mm -hmm. most people that have a smart speaker use them in a very minimal way and don't know what they can actually do. The other thing that Amazon's complaining about with this, and they're cutting people from the division and laying them off and all this stuff, is because they haven't been able to really monetize Alexa in the way that they had hoped to. Although she's built into so much stuff, there is that, but it's not direct. It's not like they can sell access or something like that. Hmm. And they've tried, you know, having her pitch things, and I don't think she would like that much either. But it's just been one of those type of situations. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go with this. But it definitely is an issue and something that is a concern. I don't think Alexa is going to go away anytime soon. But on the flip side, you know, you've got to have the concern of things that uh, you got to pay for it. Although I don't know why they needed 10,000 people for that division. This okay. is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the future. He's got a really big computer. And he uses it, uses it every day. And he uses it, uses it in every way. What's he using for? You know I'm not that sure because he uses future Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers. Send us your questions and your comments, userfriendlyshow.com. Check out our new website. Everything's there, and we would love to hear from you. What questions do we have this week? Can you put a 10-gigabyte file on a flash drive? Yeah, this has actually come in a few times. I don't know why 10-gigabyte was the number that was picked, but that was actually asked three times, so I just went with it. So <laughs> what this really comes down to is if you get a flash drive and you put a large file on it, you may get a error that the file is too large for the destination file system. And what's going on here is most flash drives are formatted by default to something called a FAT32 file system, FAT32. Mm -hmm. And that file system has a four gigabyte maximum file size limitation. So you can hmm. put multiple files up to four gigabytes a piece on the drive up to whatever the capacity is. But if you had one big file, 10 gigabyte or whatever, anything over four, 
it wouldn't fit. However, that can easily be fixed. And you do that by formatting your flash drive with a different file system. And there's a couple that are uh, that you can use that are supported kind of across the board. Windows uses NTFS, uh, those letters, and that one will allow you to put the bigger file on there. You can read those on a Mac, but you can only read them. You can't write to them without the use of third-party software. So on the Mac, their equivalent is something called APFS or HFS Plus, and that allows you to read and write the large files on the Macintosh, but it will not be able to be read on a Windows computer. So we still haven't gotten over this war between the formats completely. Unless you go with something called EXFAT, which is extended fat, and that file system takes the larger files and will work on both platforms. So that is the one that I would recommend using. And it doesn't cost any more or anything like that. Just make sure that you copy anything off of the flash drive first, because when you format it, anything that's on there will be erased. Are battery-based electric cars the way of the future? Yeah, so this is an interesting topic and is a question that in one way or another, variants of this have been asked for a while. We've talked about electric cars, the Tesla, the Nissan Leaf, you know, all that type of a thing. And one other thing that I look at that's very interesting that seems to be coming out now, and I've had a little bit of experience with this myself, is using hydrogen instead of batteries. Hmm. And we're starting to see this a little more. Toyota has a car that runs on hydrogen. We're seeing a number of other devices that do that too. And there's actually a plane that made its first flight using hydrogen as the fuel source all the way from end to end. And the one thing about it is it is zero emissions because you're just emitting water vapor, basically. Right. So, you know, it definitely has its place to make hydrogen with the appropriate equipment and that type of thing. You can do that. It's a little bit difficult to fill your fuel cells. You have to know firsthand where to be able to go. It is possible, but it is definitely something that is not as prevalent as like a gas station or an EV charging station, that kind of a thing. So you do need special stuff for that. But the thing of it is, is at the end of the day, I do like the fact that you don't have the waste. So on an electric vehicle or that type of a thing, the batteries are good for a certain number of charge cycles. That can vary a little bit on condition and how the car is kept and all that type of a thing. But they will eventually wear out so that they can't be charged anymore. And right now, we've talked about this in the past, it's difficult, if not impossible, to recycle them. So a good portion of these are ending up in landfills. And how many batteries are in a car? There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're made with lithium. That's the primary chemical for that. Uh, And it gets into the ground and all of these type of things. Now, there's been a lot of attempts out there and different companies trying to come up with a way to be able to recycle at scale. But we're not quite there yet, so it is something that's definitely becoming a problem. The other thing of it is, is if you have a vehicle that runs off of these type of batteries when the battery packs go dead, you have an enormous expense to replace them. It's not cheap. It's not like your $200, which used to be $60 12-volt car battery. It is in the thousands of dollars, depending on the vehicle, you know? Right. So you're dealing with that, too. So it's definitely something that right now we're going down the road of EV, but I'm not sure necessarily if this other technology won't eventually at least be an alternative. It's going to need more infrastructure and different things like that, but it is definitely viable. Hmm. Are hubs still required for smart homes? 
A question comes from a listener that used SmartThings, which is a device that was for a long time made by Samsung. And the idea being is, is that you would have a hub that would control all of your home smart devices. So, you know, Philips Hue is another one for their lighting system and that type of a thing. Now, most current smart devices are being made that you can control them with a hub, but you don't have to. So they'll work on your Wi-Fi instead of the network protocols like Z-Wave that the hub would use or can do both. I still use hubs on my system. I still have a smart thing. Samsung stopped making them, but there are alternatives that do the same thing on the market. I find having local control of stuff works a little bit better. Also, if the internet's out and stuff, you don't completely lose the smart home capability as long as your hub is able to work locally. So from that kind of a standpoint, you can still have them. But technically speaking, you could do a full smart home today without the need for a hub as long as you had a good Wi-Fi network and preferably a Wi-Fi 6 or 6E that has the ability to take all of the devices. I recently figured out I think I have 94 Wi-Fi devices <laughs> on my network now, and I'm hmm. told that for a 1,400-square-foot house, that's excessive. I don't think it is. But, you know, <laughs> there are those negative people out there that make that claim. <laughs> Strange. Hmm. Is it safe to go to Comic-Con? Yeah, I thought this was an interesting question when it came in, and I was looking, I talked to our listener, and what they're actually asking about is because of the COVID and that type of a thing, not all the crime that seems to be happening all over the place, although that would be a concern too. But yeah, the thing of it is, is you've got to consider that anytime you go to a place that has a lot of people, there is the potential of getting sick. Yeah, they used and to have something they called... before the days of COVID, we used to call this con crud. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. well, that's That's nothing new. So, you know, take the appropriate precautions. And the biggest thing with that is, is the mask requirements are being dropped and that type of a thing is being smart. Wash your hands. Yep. I, I You know, I think totally. that's the biggest thing with all this. Wash your hands. The hand sanitizer is good too in a pinch, but wash your hands. I mean, I, that's the biggest thing that you can do to help you be safe and just be prepared. Yes, it is possible to get sick if anywhere, you know, not just Comic-Con. I, 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 I had this experience in, when I first started college and I got sick the first semester really, really bad. And then I adopted the Howard Hughes paranoid uh, protocol, and uh, I just looked at every doorknob. Any surface I touched was covered with germs, so I would wash my hands a lot. And guess what? I didn't get sick that that next yeah. semester. So just just pretend to be yeah. Howard Hughes while you're at the Comic Con, right? And wash well, your hands you a lot. <laughs> wash your hands. Just practice good hygiene, you know. And that's the biggest thing. And, and you're right. High touch surfaces. Um, although I think during the COVID area, they went a little over the top. There's places where they're having to replace the furniture because of how often they were washing everything with uh, <laughs> alcohol and hand sanitizer. So that's a little bit, I think, on the other end. But it's just, you know, get out there and be careful. Um, we're going back to shows. We've been okay. But again, it's just a matter of making sure that you take the appropriate precautions. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it is okay. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're continuing with our Q&A this week. We've had a lot of questions come in and haven't really had a chance to do this for a while. So it's kind of fun to be able to look through and get some information out there. What is our next question? Is it true that Google Fi is now T-Mobile? 
Yeah, I, when I saw this come came when I saw this come in originally, I was like looking at it, going, "Okay, whatever," and then another one, and then another one. So I checked it out. Now, Google Fi has not become T-Mobile. However, what has happened, at least for the moment, is that it only uses T-Mobile's network. So <laughs> they dropped US Cellular for some reason, and a while back they dropped the other one that they were using, which oh. um, I think might have been Sprint, which merged with T-Mobile. So that would be why. Okay, but, that explains uh, something. Um, hmm. Our our Google Fi in where we're at doesn't always work real great. There are moments yeah, when be, it drops, and it would make sense if it's only one network now. You know, yeah, yeah, and that happened with a lot. Yeah, but it's recent. Yeah, within the last six months or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things you can do from your house if your phone supports it is turn on Wi-Fi calling capability. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then that uses your Wi-Fi network instead of the mobile network. So there's some time to work about it. It's kind of a bummer because I've always been really happy with Google Fi. And if you know, hopefully they'll get some other networks on there pretty soon. But yeah, it's uh right now it's just one network that's running it. <laughs> Are there any computers with flexible screens? So they've had flexible screens in theory and in phones and some stuff like that for a while. This is a technology that you don't see a lot, but it does exist to some extent. However, one of the coolest ones that I've seen so far is the new Lenovo laptop. And you push a button and the screen unrolls and pops up and it just kind of gets longer and longer. It's cool. Mm. And uh, that's definitely, I, it's a rollable screen. So yes, it would have to be flexible in order for that yeah. to work. So it's it's a concept. I don't think you can actually go to the store and buy that yet. But I do think we're going to see this a little more. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it as they come out. Hmm. Can you sell a domain name? Yeah, so this is something, yes, you can. Okay, so that's the short answer. Yeah. But you want to be careful. I would recommend, if you're going to do this, using a domain name broker that you trust. So selling it through a site like DirectNick or GoDaddy or something that is credible, do a little bit of checking on it. Because once the name is transferred, you can't get it back. So if somebody is out there trying to cheat you, and yes, there are scams with this kind of stuff, you definitely want to just make sure you're safe, make sure you get paid first. There's companies, Seco is one of them, that will do the brokering. They do charge you for that. I think it's 10% or $150 or something, depending on the cost. But they take the money, they handle the transfer, and they guarantee that you get paid. So you can sell a domain name just like anything else. Get a value on it if you want to do that and see what it's worth and then put it out there. But just be careful that you don't get taken because those things can happen and happen pretty easily. Will remote work stay around in the computer industry? Yeah, we've been, this has been asked a lot. And it's a hmm. question that I've been interested in, too, because I'm a programmer and I like being able to work remotely. And so do a lot of people. And there's two schools of thoughts on this. I think the work week, is, especially in IT, has been forever changed. Even hybrid models where you come in two, maybe three days a week, it's still not a five-day, 40-hour week like we used to have. And there's a lot of opportunity out there where it is still completely remote. You can get a job, you can work and work from your own home and be able to function in that way. And I know from my own standpoint, not having the drive, you know, not having to deal with all the stuff that you would have to deal with. And since COVID, it's like I used to drive about 15,000 miles a year. In the last couple of years, I think I've driven 4,000 miles a year. Mm-hmm. So it's saved a lot of money. Um, it's good on the environment, not to have to drive as much. You don't have to deal with the congestion. So I like it personally. So I do think the change is here to stay, whether or not every job is going to be remote. I don't think so. I think the hybrid model is probably where this will end up. 
with there being a lot of options that are fully remote. Does Google have access to everyone's contacts? Yeah, so when you save a contact, it saves to a master database. So somewhere there is a list of every contact that's out there. But it's interesting to see what Google already has, your name, gender, birth date, personal cell phone numbers, Google searches, websites you visited, the fact that you turned on the bedroom lights last night, probably if you have a smart home, things like where you've been for the past years. If you use Mm -hmm. Google Maps, that's all Mm -hmm. reported. You can turn all of this stuff off and limit the sharing and that type of thing. And there's ways to get in and do that. But the bottom line of it is, is there is a lot of information that's shared to Google, especially if you have an Android phone. Now, I kind of find it kind of fun. I can see, oh, four years ago, I went on a trip to Salt Lake City, and the information's still there. What hotel I stayed at, where we ate dinner, <laughs> you know, all of that kind of stuff. But <laughs> it's a little scary, too. So, yep, it's yeah. definitely out there. All right, this is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Userfriendlyshow.com is the place where you can check out all of our past archives, Tech Wednesday, our articles, and everything else that we do. Let us know what you think. Send us your questions and your comments. So last week, we started to talk about this a little bit. Actually, I think it was week before last when the yeah. first episode of the new season of Mandalorian dropped. And we've now had a couple of episodes. I think it's two. I have not had a chance to see them yet. And- <laughs> I'm sure I'll get yelled at for that, but uh, it just I haven't. I'm going to. I promise. So, <laughs> but you, you guys us, have. So you want us to talk Mando first? Talk Mando first. Okay. Um, all right. There, there were, uh, you know, when we uh, looked at um, what is it, social media? And yeah, stuff, social media. Um, a lot. There were people complaining and bitching about um, the first episode of Mando of this season. But, you know, I kind of look at it like each of these seasons is almost like reading a novel. At Mm -hmm. the very beginning, you preface or you begin the novel, you set the the pace. And um, I think the whole thing with uh, them saying that um, Cara Dune was recruited for special forces, Mm -hmm. it made sense. And that way the character isn't gone. She could show up as a comic book character or in a novel. The character wasn't thrown away. It was just, you know. Sidelined. Yeah. And then there were a few other things that happened. Uh, I'm not sure why we want to bring back the IG-88 unit. (laughs) He he trusts the droid for some reason because the droid was willing to blow himself up. Yeah. um, To me, if if you have a bomb in your chest... (laughs) <laughs> and your legs get blown off. That is a failure of of construction and design. So <laughs> that's definitely just, a bad day. Uh, yeah, yeah. But so, that's the thing that the the droid was gonna going to destroy himself, and he's got a bomb in his chest. Yeah, and yet his upper torso is what survived. Yeah, seems like something <laughs> there is kind of a little messed up. So but, I'm I'm not really sure where they were going with that. So, I mean, if you're feeling grumpy or annoyed that the first episode wasn't the way you were expecting it to be, we'll watch the second one. 
Yes. The second one, oh my goodness. It's, it, it's intense. It, it totally totally reinvigorates a very bad take your child to work day. Uh-huh. So you're, you know, on an adventure and some super cool things happen. It yeah. It really does. Oh, yeah. Can't, and, I, I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. Yeah, and uh, you even get a cool gal pal to go with you on the adventure yes. and save your ass. And she's not wussy. She she packs a punch and she knows what she's doing. Right. And no spoilers. And <laughs> we, you got to watch it all the way to the end. <laughs> OK, awesome. you have to. If you love Mandalorians, you have to see this. Yes. OK. OK. All right. Well, I'll. I'll check it out. I mean, I'm of the opinion that what we need to do is create a, I don't know, like an exoskeleton for our own soldiers that's modeled after some kind of a cross between Mando and Iron Man. I mean, it'd be the butchest soldiers you had on the planet with all of those skills and everything. Just absolutely, uh, you know, something that would save the world. So, hey, I think it's sure. cool. You know, I agree with you. As long as I get uh, I get a suit and a jetpack. <laughs> yeah, well, of yeah. course. What is it? A, a Mando and a jetpack is a weapon. I think that was the line. Yeah, a Mandalorian <laughs> and a jetpack. <laughs> so, a Mandalorian with a jetpack is true. a weapon. There you go, okay. with a jetpack. Okay, yes. well, somebody got it right. <laughs> so, in the other episode that dropped is the season, episode 12 of uh, the, the Bad Batch. And it's a, it's a, a crosshair episode another gut rancher and oh. man is he having a bad year yeah oh just the, the 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 earlier episode with crosshair just just made you you know your gut wrench you know and and then we get to see cody and then cody disappears and and crosshair is once again all alone and this time i don't know i'm kind of wondering if, if if it's finally gotten through to him it might have so, um, boy, I, I mean, good storytelling, really deep uh, character development, mm -hmm. unlike the sequel movies. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, when, when when you've got some you know TV episodes that are better better written than movies, yeah, it's uh, a that, that's odd. A, you know that's actually happening a lot. I mean, it really yeah. is. You're, you're looking around at some of these things, and even the cartoons, in some yeah. ways, they're doing better than a lot of the. Uh, well, Bad Batch is a cartoon. Yeah, I know. That's what and, I mean. Really good one. And 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 you know, there there are the fun moments and the lighthearted moments, but there are also those gut wrenchers. And it's like you know, I don't know if uh, cartoons ever get awards for this kind of stuff. Are they even considered? They really yeah, should be. There are animation awards. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember where or when, but. But do Another they get episode. it for fine acting, uh, fine writing, beautiful artwork? You know, do they get the big awards ever? I don't know. Not so, to look. That's a question I have. So yeah. Um. So uh, if you're one of these people that go, oh, a cartoon that's just for little kids, no, watch Bad Batch. If you have buddies who are going, oh, the clones aren't the way they were in the novels, you know. Just ignore that. Watch the yeah, cartoon well, the, I mean, for what it is. is. is there's going to be arguments like that all the way around. And oh, that's yeah. always the case between published, you know, printed stuff and movies. There's a little bit of as a, a difference. But as a writer, you're never going to please everyone. As a movie yeah, maker, just, you're never going to please everyone. So it's like, check it out and see if you enjoy it. Another one, you know, that they've come out with a new season of, which I wasn't expecting, is Legend of Vox uh, Mechana. 
I think uh-huh. I'm saying that right. And Bad that enough. one I've really enjoyed too. It's uh, you know, yeah, we got to catch up on that one. Yeah, we haven't gotten to that one. Yes, it's kind of cool. And that came out of just someone's game, and you know, with voice actors, and they've managed to put this thing together, and I think have done a really kind of a cool job. Now that one's not one for the kids. Definitely. Um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I don't even want to watch it with my mom in the room. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I, I have the same thing. It's kind of embarrassing if you have certain people around, but um, but it's still pretty well done, you know. So these type of things. Okay, so Disney Plus is the place to look for this. Let us know what you think as this stuff comes down, and uh, we'd love to hear everybody's opinion. This is user friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Great show this week, as always. Love hearing about all the new Star Wars stuff. That was kind of cool. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to have to get on there and check it out. And uh, love the Q&A. Actually, let's finish with one other question that came in. So a while back, we were talking about website hosting and that kind of thing a couple of weeks ago. And a lot of questions are coming in about encryption. And it used to be that you put up a website and there you are. And now pretty much you don't technically have to by a law or anything, but if you want to show up on search listings and have people be able to view your stuff, you have to use an encryption certificate. And this is called SSL. Yeah. And this is what puts the padlock up at the top of the URL or makes it green, depending on the browser you have, that tells you that basically what's happening is the information you're sending to the website is securely being sent and is encrypted and that you really are communicating with the website that you think you are. Yeah. That's what these are about. So. Once upon a time, these were really expensive and difficult to do, and they've really come down in price. SSLs.com, which is the provider I use, which is actually a Ukraine-based <laughs> provider, so I recommend them, but I've used them for years, and they've always been great. It's 10 bucks a year, so it's not that expensive to do. There's different kinds of certificates. There's a basic one, the $10 a year one that's just like mydomain.com. And then they have what are called wildcard certificates. Those run more, starting at about 60 bucks, where it can be anything dot mydomain.com. So if you have server one dot or video or whatever, you know, a prefix on your uh, domain name, Hmm. it will cover them all. So depending on what you need is what you would have there. The other thing is, is a lot of hosting services now just include this as a part of the package. So our new website for user-friendly is a, for example, is on WordPress engine. And for that part of it, the SSL certificate just comes with the hosting. They wouldn't launch it if you didn't have encryption. And then for some of the other stuff we do that requires things outside of it, we still buy our own. But from that standpoint, that's what that is. And, Hmm. you know, the thing of it is, is like we said earlier, is you almost have to have them in a sense because big search engine sites like Google and stuff will not index your site if it's not encrypted. And that was a change in policy that was made a couple of years ago. And one that I do have to say, I think is a good one because if you get onto a website that doesn't use encryption technology and you send a credit card number or an email address, it really is going over the internet just in plain text. <laughs> and there's all yeah. kinds of things that can happen. Just, yeah, you don't want that, right? No, 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 <laughs> never. So anyway, so, you know, just an answer to a question there, a little bit of a tangent, but it is definitely something that's important. If you're doing website hosting and that type of a thing, you're going to want these kind of technologies in place. And 
If you're not a programmer or a tech person, just want to get your message out there, find a hosting service that offers all this as part of the package so you don't have to deal with it. Just make sure that it's encrypted and secure because the last thing you want is your customer information finding its way out and being the topic of a headline of such and such company got hacked. So with that, until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.